0: This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. It tells me how he thinks. It reveals to me who God says I am and tells me what God says I can have. Because it's how he thinks, I choose to believe and act on what I'll read. And therefore I am transformed. To say that something is the bane of my existence <laughs> means that some person or something is a constant irritant. Have you ever used that phrase? This is the bane of my existence. That thing or that person is a constant irritant or source of misery. I know none of you have ever really had to deal with that feeling, but I have. This is the bane of my existence. How about telemarketers? The bane of my existence. Now, of course, we have ways to curb that, curb that activity today, don't we? Um, if we don't want as much of it, but they still call, don't they? <laughs> they're, the, they're the bane. How about this one? Spam that comes into your mailbox. <laughs> and then fighting the viruses. You're not sure. Should I open this? Should I it, That's the bane of my existence, right? I mean, we can't like turn off the internet and say we're not gonna do that anymore. How about slugs out in your garden? <laughs> you know, it's we're hitting springtime here. The bane of my existence. What we're, what we're really saying is that I just cannot occupy the same space with that. Mosquitoes. Yeah. I mean, you just try to go out in the early evening, you know, 7, 8 o'clock, still nice and warm, take the dog, and before you get back, you are a-scratching here and a-scratching there and a-scratching everywhere. And I don't want to put that stuff on me, that repellent. You know, I don't want to rub that all over my skin, full of chemicals, and it stinks. I have to take a bath when I get home. Mosquitoes, the bane of my existence. This actually is an old English word that comes from "bane." Urbana, it meant literally slayer or destroyer. And we've gotten away from the sense in which it originally was formed and fashioned, which means murderer. Early on, the English word bane was also used in a more general sense of to cause death. And in the 14th century, it had the notion of being or referring to poison, something that's poisonous. I'll have to admit to you this morning, as we continue in our study of Romans, we have hit chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6. So if you want to grab your Bible and turn, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. I will admit to you that growing up as a young Christian, chapter 6 of Romans was the bane of my existence. (laughs) I mean, it's the Word of God, right? I mean, how could anything in the Bible cause me to just shun it, not want to be in that space, not want to approach it, not want to spend time with it? See, I I knew it was important. I, I knew that it was full of important spiritual truths for my life. But every time I approached it, I was overwhelmingly aware of my failure and an overwhelming sense of of sin. Let's begin reading in verse 1, the words of Paul in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has any dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And here comes that passage, those verses that I just, I wanted to stay away from. So you, so Jeff, put your name in there. So, come on. So Jeff must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, Jeff, to obey its, possess, its passions, Jeff. Do not present, Jeff. Your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But, Jeff, present yourself to God as those who have been brought back to life, and your members to God as an instrument of righteousness. Jeff, sin should not have any dominion over you, since you're not under the law but under grace. And the reason I do that is because that's, that's the tone, that's the atmosphere, that's the attitude that I had when I would read it. It was just constantly, like, in my face. And I was so aware that I didn't meet up to the context of Paul's words here. It's interesting in verse 1 that he begins with a throwback to chapter 5. Look at the words here. Weiss' translation says in verse 1, What shall we say then? Weymouth's translation says, To what conclusion then shall we come? Paul's referring here to chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, which say, Now law was brought in later on so that transgression might increase. But where sin increased, grace has overflowed in order that sin or as sin has exercised kingly sway in afflicting death, so grace too may exercise kingly sway in bestowing a righteousness which results in life, the life of the ages, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Paul was accused of preaching a message that would make people of that day comfortable with just continuing in their old life, continuing in sin. I mean, Paul, if you're saying that where there's sin, grace abounds, and if there's more sin, grace just, one translation says, super abounds, well, then you're giving people a license. They may accept Jesus, come to Christ, open the door to their heart and get saved, but then you, this message of grace, Paul, just causes people to think that they can continue in sin instead of pressing for holiness. And isn't that a familiar theme of our Christian walk? especially when we first get saved. I don't know about you but after I first accepted Jesus I was very aware that I was not like Jesus. <laughs> I I knew he loved me. I knew he wanted me to go to heaven. I knew that he wanted to help me. But I still had all kinds of desires Thoughts and things in my life that I knew weren't pleasing to him. So as I read Romans chapter 6, it didn't bring life. It brought condemnation and guilt. Because I didn't understand the words of Paul here. I knew Paul wasn't saying that grace was a license to not follow through and be diligent with our life i knew that much but how to accomplish it how to, how to really live a holy life escaped me he says are we to continue in sin that grace may abound and what's paul's answer there verse 2 by no means How can we who died to sin still live in it? Here's the Weiss translation. May such a thing never occur. How is it possible for us, such persons as we are, who have been separated once once for all from the sinful nature any longer to live in its grip? Again, the second part of that. Who have been separated once for all from the sinful nature any longer In its grip. You see, I never saw that. I didn't know how to read from different translations and see what God might be saying through this wonderful language of the Bible. And of course, it didn't help that I attended a church where they preached holiness, they preached the need to get right with God. But they didn't preach what I'm going to share with you this morning, which I call the undoing of Adam. Romans chapter 6, the first 14 verses, tell us about the undoing of Adam. And it's that undoing of Adam that provides the basis of grace in our lives to serve God. And to be completely pleasing. I love what Amy said earlier when she said, you know, I made, a, I made a bad decision. I made a poor decision in my life. And yet throughout the process, God blessed me and brought me through that. You know what that is? That's Romans chapter 6. That's God telling us that that's the kind of life we can have. He's not near as interested in your mistakes as he is in you just saying the words of that last song. You know, God, you have provided, you've done this all. Now here I am. I thank you that I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. You see, Paul's answer to sin in the life of the believer is, how? Why? You're dead. Look at it. That's Paul's answer to sin. Shall we sin that grace might increase? By no means. How are we who are dead going to live in sin? Now that's not a, I'm working at being dead. I'm trying to be dead. That's, you're dead. (laughs) Everybody say it. I'm dead. Okay, (laughs) see how easy that is? Spiritually, according to the scripture, I'm dead. I died when he died. The answer to the struggle with sin is not to struggle with it, but to simply admit I'm dead. I live by grace. Let's unpack this idea of the death and the undoing of Adam, or some would call it identification, being identified with Christ and what he did for us. Verse two from the Weiss translation, it says, separated once for all from the sinful nature. That's past tense. That's not something you struggle with. That's not something you pray about. You don't fast to get it. You don't go to church, read your Bible, or sing in the choir to get this. All those things are good. Hopefully your passion and love for Jesus will lead to those good works, but they have nothing to do with you being dead and separated once for all from the country, the life of... Here's, here's what the message translation says. If we have left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we let it have any sway in our life anymore? I like that. Have you left the country? You know, if you were to leave America and go over to uh, parts of South Africa there would be things about your life here in America that would just die. They'd no longer be relevant. They wouldn't be meaningful in that culture. You wouldn't be able to communicate to those people in the language that you learned here. Getting around would no longer, you'd have to adopt to the new ways of getting around. You know, be a lot of walking, maybe a bicycle. (laughs) Your diet, No more slipping down to Taco Bell, Wendy's, McDonald's when you just have a craving, right? I mean, if you want a fast meal, you're going to either lop off some weed out of the field or you're going to kill a snake or eat a bug. I mean, it just changes. If you leave America and you go out somewhere else, everything changes. You're no longer part of that. You're now part of this. It rules. The reality of what Paul's teaching us here is that he's not worried about the message of grace enabling people to just keep sinning. What he believes will happen as we continue to love the Lord and surrender our life to him is that we will realize we have left the country. Once for all, he has separated. He did it, not me. He separated you From sin. He did it. And then in verse 3 and 4, let's look. Do you not know that all we who were placed in Christ... I'm reading from the Weiss translation. Do you not know that all of us who were placed in Christ Jesus in his death were placed? We, therefore, were entombed with him through this being placed in his death, in order that in the same manner as there was raised up Christ out from among those who are dead through the glory of the Father, thus also we, by means of a new life imparted, may order our behavior. Oh, we need to camp there. Listen. Thus also we, by means of a new life imparted, may order our behavior. We, by means of a new life imparted, might order our behavior. See, we turn that around. If we order our behavior, we think God will impart more life. If I order my behavior, if I get my life right, if I get my actions and my thoughts right, God will bless me. Do you know that whole thing is Old Testament thinking? You see, in the Old Testament... Favor came after obedience. In the New Testament, favor comes before obedience. The only way I have the power to order my behavior, to change it, to think differently, is to draw on the new life that he imparted to me when he separated me from death and put me in another country. Is this thing, where's my man? There he is. Is this thing pinned to my coat or to my shirt? Shirt? Okay. Ed, may I please? Thanks. Let's say it this way. I was co-crucified, co-buried, And co-resurrected. Let's say it again. I was co-crucified. I was was co-buried. And I was was co-resurrected. You see, you are not merely a spectator viewing from a distance what happened to Jesus. We are first-hand participants in all that Jesus himself experienced. Paul himself summarizes this revelation. He says, my experience personally with this altered my entire way of living, my belief system, my thoughts, how I love, how I walk, how I live, all based on one principle. Watch this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Could you say it again? I'm dead. I've moved to another country. God has separated me from sin. I now order my behavior after the life he imparted to me. You see, that's the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul preached. Adam was merely a type of Jesus. Romans chapter 4, verse or 5, verse 14 says this: But death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness and the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. Paul is saying here and specifically in chapter 6, and specifically verses 3 through 10, that there is a decisive connection between Jesus and the human race. Not just those who decide to go to church and respond to a call to the altar and pray the prayer and accept Jesus. This is our Western idea of getting saved. Paul says that this connection between what Jesus did and the human race is conclusive and decisive. In other words, we could say it this way. We are all implicated in what happened to Jesus. How many of you know that if if you're driving the car, that a couple of your friends are in when they stop at a bank and rob it? Are you following me? I'm not being too carnal for you, am I? If you are driving the car that stops at a bank and some of your friends jump out and rob the bank... Legally, the law is going to say, you're guilty, as guilty as they are, right? You are implicated in something they did. The Bible says all of humankind was implicated in what Adam did. But in the same breath, all of humankind is implicated in what Jesus did. And Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. And he conquered sin. Was separated from it and started a whole new way of living. He redeemed the Adamic race. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 14. We read it. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Are you included in the word all? What does all mean? This isn't a trick question. What does the word all mean? So it says here that because we have concluded this, that one meaning Jesus, died for how many? Does that include your neighbor? Does that include that rotten person you work with? I mean, that manager you just, they are the bane of your existence. How many of you have ever worked for somebody that was the bane of your existence? How many of you are, no, I'm not going to ask that. I was going to say, how many of you are currently working for, somebody might be watching this video and they don't need to, <laughs> need to know that. Weymouth's translation says of chapter 5 verse 14 of 2 Corinthians the conclusion at which we have arrived being this that one having died for all his death was their death John chapter 1 verse 29 behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world there's one to memorize you've memorized John 3:16 You've memorized John 3, 17, 2 right? Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, 18, 19. John chapter 1 verse 29. Behold the lamb of God, who does what? Takes away the sin of the who? Those who go to church? Those who come forward after a message? Those who shake the preacher's hand? Those who sing in the choir? Those who do it the way you do it in your Christianity, in your walk? Those who meet the moral list of qualifications that you and I think are true Christianity? Romans chapter 5, verse 19. And this is so fascinating because we've already done chapter 5. And I bet we never saw chapter 5, verse 19 in the light now of what chapter 6 sheds. Watch this. Verse 19 For as through the disobedience of the one individual, the mass of mankind were constituted sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, the mass of mankind will be constituted righteous. Baxter Kruger says in his book, Jesus and the Undoing of Adam, and I quote, That objective union means that the death of Christ was our death. That there and then, in Jesus Christ, the human race was crucified, dead, and buried. That on the cross of Calvary, our disease, our estrangement, our alienation, our flesh was crucified. I'm not a spectator viewing that. I was there when they crucified our Lord. I was there when they laid him in the tomb. I was there Easter morning when he rose again the third day. I was there and now have been separated from sin and I live in a different country. Except to tell Stephanie, and thank you Stephanie for your ministry to us this morning. That we're in a study of Romans, look at chapter 6. She didn't know what I was going to say. Did you notice how almost every song we sang, the words of it really spoke to this very message. Don't you love how the Holy Spirit takes a service? And conveys a message to our heart. Paul says that Adam's fall and ours. Adam's alienation and ours. Adam's sin and ours. All came to an abrupt end. He says we were entombed in his death. That means likewise... We are inseparably linked and present in his resurrection. That is Romans chapter 6 verses 3 through 10. And I never knew this. I lived almost 45 plus years of my life not knowing this. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 10, I accepted Christ, backslid, lived the heathen lifestyle, got involved in drugs and shooting up in my arm, and I was on a fast track, and I was 12. 12. When I was 14, I gave my life back to Christ. It was transformational. And then I started on a course, the same course that almost every Christian, especially here in the West, in America, starts on. It's all about how much now, I can get my life right with God and start doing the things He wants me to do so I can be pleasing so at the end of this I don't lose my salvation and He'll take me to heaven. And if that's where you've been living, it's miserable. You talk about the bane of your existence. Is it any wonder that so many are leaving the Christian church today? Is it any wonder that you meet so many who will tell you, I once went to church or I used to believe that when I was young. And the primary reason is this very foundation we're speaking of here in Romans chapter 6. I didn't know that Jesus did it all. I didn't know that when he uttered those words from the cross, it is finished, that that meant I was co-crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected with him. I didn't know that it wasn't my battle, it isn't my struggle against sin, but that he conquered sin completely for me, paid the price, separated me from sin, took me to another country, and that now the answer is, to sin having any control or sway over my life is very simply, I'm dead. I'm dead. If you've been entombed, the word is baptized. Now, it's argued by theologians that the first several verses there in Romans chapter 6 is referring to water baptism or not. Simply being baptized into Christ. I will choose the second, the latter. And say that the first is in principle in view here. That the waters of baptism definitely are then a type and shadow of our inclusion, our identification with what Christ did. But these verses go much different, di- uh, deeper than simply the waters of baptism. This is reality, dear ones. This is fact. What Jesus did, he did for the human race. He's accomplished it. It's done. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, let the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be eulogized who impelled by his abundant mercy, he caused us to be born again. He caused us to be born again. I wasn't even looking for him. I wasn't seeking God. While I was yet in my sin, he was chasing me, and he caused me to be born again so that we have a hope which is alive, this living hope having been made actual through the intermediate instrumentality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ out from among those who are dead. Weest translation. Get yourself a Weest translation. Before we close, I want to quote François Dutrois as well as, and the Mirror Bible, as well as Baxter Kruger and his book, "Jesus: The Undoing of Adam." The gospel is the astonishing news that something has happened to the Son of God, and the equally astonishing news. That in him, something has happened to the entire human race. End quote. Again, quote, The gospel is the good news of what became of the Son of God and what became of us in him. End quote. And one more. Listen. Quote, The death of Jesus Christ was part of a seamless movement in which the triune God laid hold of the human race and decisively and sovereignly altered its very existence, cleansing it of all alienation, quickening it with new life, and lifting it up into union with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you know what this has done? We talked about it on Easter. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, that we are no longer to view any man after the flesh. No matter who they are, no matter what they act like, no matter what they live like, no matter what's going on in their life, you are not to view them after that flesh. You are to view them now in the same light As anyone else that Christ has died for. And the only difference between me and that person that we might consider a wretched sinner is one thing. They have not yet pulled back the curtains to see this glorious salvation. This glorious grace and mercy and stepped into it and said, I receive it as mine. But it is no less true for them. Do you know what this will do for how you view your neighbors? Do you know what this will do for how you witness the the tools, the methods you use for sharing Jesus? You will stop starting your witness. Listen, I, I don't want to confuse you, but I'm being intentional. You will stop starting with the message of You know, you are separated from God and just sorely fallen. I mean, if you were to die tonight, you'd go to hell. So I'm just, I'm here to tell you that you need to change. Now, let me ask you all who have been using that method how's that been working for you? (laughs) Apparently, the chairs aren't full. Because your friends are not here. Your co-workers are not here. Everybody with whom you've started that kind of witness, they're not here. How about starting with the true witness of Romans 6 where Jesus died for all, therefore all have died. How about starting with the witness that Jesus, this is the good news, Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again, and I was co-buried or co-crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected with him. It's something God did. And in that, he separated me from sin and put me in another country. And now mine is to start learning how, how to talk, <laughs> how to walk. How to live in this different country. And oh, by the way, while you're there learning how to walk and live and talk and eat in this new country, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to do some dumb things. You're going to make some dumb decisions. You know, you're going to do some things that are, quote, sinful. And you know what you do? You just run to Jesus and say, That was really dumb, wasn't it? (laughs) That was stupid. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for what you already did. And I promise, Father, that if you'll just strengthen me in your grace, give me an even deeper realization of who I am in you, I'll never do that again. All right. I'm out of time. I wanted to talk to you about how to apply this. Who said that <laughs> now, see, that's a visitor. The visitor's saying, keep going. <laughs> All right, real, real quick verses 11 through 14. I just tell you what, what, what they say. Verses 11 through 14. I, I, I told you I always got hung up there because I could never see, I didn't have the backstory. Verse 11 through 14, just sort of snipped and put together. Watch this. So, consider yourselves dead to sin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Do not present your members to sin, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but you are under grace. Verse 11, consider. That's the first thing you do. Constantly counting upon the fact that on one hand, you are those who have been separated from the sinful nature? we translation. "Once for all," verse 10 says. Francois says in the mirror Bible, this is the final testimony of the fact that sin's power over us has been destroyed. The message translation, watch. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks in your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Message translation. Verse 12 then says, let not sin. So first is consider, consider your state. Number two, let not sin. In other words, Francois Tuine, the Mirror Translation says this, you are under no obligation to sin. It has no further rights to dominate your dead body. Whether you do it or not is up to you. And yes, there's grace, but why would you want to now that you are dead? Paul goes on through chapter six and says, "The fruit, the fruit of that is going to be death, not eternal separation from God, but just bad, you know, a mess. I mean, your life just is not going to be enjoyable and full and rich here on earth now, if you yield to those sinful things." Verse, verse 13, he says, "Don't keep presenting." Or in other words, Francois says in the mirror translation, do not let the members of your body lie... Listen. Oh, listen. One more verse, I promise. One more. Listen. Watch. Do not let the members of your body lie around loose and unguarded in the vicinity of unrighteousness, where sin can seize it and use it as a destructive weapon against you. Rather, place yourself in a readiness unto God. That's how I live. I'm just not going to lay around. That stuff. So I consider, I let not sin, and I do not present. Why? Because I am not under law, I am under grace. Sin is no longer my master. The law reveals my slavery to sin, but grace reveals my freedom from it. I no longer have any problem living for God. I no longer have any problem Constantly worrying and struggle against a life that I know is contrary because I'm not under law anymore. I'm under grace. And when I do make a mistake, I just tell him, I'm really sorry. But that mistake has nothing to do with my relationship, has nothing to do with him loving me, has nothing to do with him blessing me, has nothing to do with his favor.